Welcome to another episode of Chefs and Guests on the Spoon Mob podcast feed. This week, I'm actually joined by executive chef Olivia Hammond. She's the first uh, woman chef we've been able to have on the podcast, so I'm really happy to have her on. It was pretty exciting. Uh, I've reached out to a bunch of different women chefs, but it's just kind of harder to get them booked on the podcast. I think a lot of it is they're they're so in demand and everybody kind of knows of the women executive chefs, um, all the names, you know, you know, Dominique Gren and Emma Bengston over in New York at Aquavid and and all this different stuff, Kate Williams up in Detroit. So it's been kind of difficult to to be able to get some of them scheduled. I was hoping to have kind of more on the podcast uh, at this point and lined up. But I'm uh, really thankful that we got Olivia uh, and thankful that she was able to take some time out of of her day. She was uh, formerly at Spec Italian Eatery up in Delaware. She was the executive chef there for almost a year about and uh, recently departed the restaurant is kind of going to be on to new things. I'm not exactly sure what that is, at least at the time that we were recording, uh, but she will. She did promise to put out a Instagram announcement for whatever she decides to do next with her cooking career. But, you know, she's super young when she became an executive chef. She's super young in the industry. Um, she went to culinary school that's no longer around, the Bradford uh, Easton. And uh, we just kind of go into, you know, all the different restaurants that she worked at in Columbus coming up and and what she's encountered in the food scene and what she wants to do and and it's a really cool episode. It's really insightful into kind of like somebody who's, you know, this young and this talented, who's, you know, kind of been able to run kitchens and, and become a sous chef really, you know, really early in her career and everything. And is kind of on the almost like the fast track. So um, it's been really, really awesome to, you know, be able to reach out and talk to a bunch of these different people and different chefs and get all these different kind of perspectives. And this is definitely a new one where you know, we haven't had somebody, you know, like this young and this accomplished on the podcast before. So it's really cool to sit down and, and talk with her and, and kind of go through everything too, as well. And finally have a woman chef. So you can kind of get that point of view too, as well. It, it's tough for me. I, I hesitate to, you know, always kind of refer to people, you know, as a woman chef by, you know, as a woman chef, just because, you know, they're a chef who's also a woman and not necessarily, you know, in a different kind of like classifier or anything like that. And that's something that that Dominique Krem brought up uh, a couple years ago when it was like the world's 50 best. Uh, they named her like woman chef of the year. And she's like, no, no, no I am a chef who is a woman. So that's always kind of stuck with me. So, um, but in this case, you know, really happy to have Olivia on, like I said. So it, it is pretty awesome um, just to chat. And I really look forward to kind of wherever she pops up next. Uh, like I said, it'll be one of the first people kind of in line, wherever that is. It, it sounds like she has a few things kind of she's considering doing and just has to make that final decision on what she wants to do. So definitely keeping an eye on her Instagram to see when she posts and, you know, makes that, that announcement finally, uh, probably hopefully here in, you know, the next few weeks or whatever. But, um, when it does happen, you know, it'll be awesome. Hopefully she's still staying in Columbus, you know, super talented chef. So definitely want to keep her in Columbus, at least for as long as I live here selfishly, but the podcast is about an hour, maybe a little more than an hour long. So, I uh, hope you guys enjoy this one. It's really cool to sit down with her. And uh, here is my interview with Chef Olivia Hammond. Thanks again for doing this and, and coming on the podcast. Um, appreciate it. I know we've ate at Spec a handful of times. Some of the times that you were, you know, running the kitchen and everything, we've always had great experiences. You and Abby and, and Josh has been there a couple of times too as well. So definitely wanted to to get you on the podcast. And just kind of talk to you about, I mean, you're actually the first woman chef to come on the podcast. Really? <laughs> uh, it's a lot harder to book women chefs than you would think. I think it's probably because 
they're they're probably I think just so in demand for different like press outlets and stuff because even with changes in the industry and everything, it's still there's way less women chefs, and then it's I think harder to to find out who they are too as well and run in a kitchen and stuff like that too. So it's definitely couple things in the works, but, but you're definitely the first one, but yeah, we'll start kind of where we start with everybody. I mean, how did you, you know, there's not a whole lot of information on really a lot of chefs that work in Columbus. There's a couple here or there that have some articles, but it's pretty hard to find really any, you know, information. So how did you kind of get started cooking? Like, was it something that you're doing as a kid growing up or how did you kind of fall into it? Uh, actually my dad was a horticulture major. So kind of growing up, I grew up with, I was the youngest of probably 50 cousins on one side and, uh, just kind of always made my way into the kitchen. My dad always had, you know, more garden than grass, he said. So always had fresh ingredients. My parents were pretty good in the kitchen. So it was just kind of like a natural fit. I'm the youngest of four, so all of my siblings kind of had an avenue, and I was like, I don't really know what I want to do. I don't really know what I like. I always liked watching Food Network with my dad growing up, and that just kind of started it, honestly. With Now, are you from Columbus originally, like born and raised, too? Uh, born and raised in Sunbury. I am from Columbus, yeah. With having kind of the older siblings, did you at least, were you able to figure out like, I don't know what I want to do, but I know I don't want to do what they're doing. Like if they became, you know, like a lawyer or doctor or something like that, you're like, yeah, that doesn't, that doesn't sound fun. Yeah. We definitely have a strange array of well, what everyone decided to end up doing. I mean, I have siblings in San Diego doing oceanography. I have another sister in DC doing stuff for Peace Corps and we kind of all just, you know, decided on one thing and kind of ran for it. And we've all been pretty independent. So it's been quite a ride. <laughs> How did you decide like that you wanted to work in restaurants? Like, was it just that was where you got your first job and it just kind of naturally progressed from there? Or? Yeah. So um, in high school, I had a a hard time sitting down in a classroom and, you know, doing the standard learning. Um, our school had a visit from the career center one day and everybody was mandatory to go to the meeting. And, you know, I, everybody was handed a pamphlet, like, what would you be interested in seeing if you had to visit the career center? So I really wasn't interested in anything else besides the culinary department. And I only checked that box and the lady who actually helped run the career center came back to talk to a few students and she pulled me into the office and asked if I would come in and tour the career center. And I did. And I, you know, my teacher kind of lit the fire under me to work somewhere that could give me the basics that I could build off of. That's where I started working at Rusty Bucket. Um, we had a lot of competencies to get through when it came to the program at the career center to get you know, our certificate or our completion. So um, Cameron Mitchell kind of coincides with that program for career centers, I, I believe, everywhere. So Yeah, they just built, I mean, a, a big kind of extension of the culinary school at Columbus State. So when you started the restaurant, were you just on the line or were you doing prep or dishwashing or what they have you? Uh, I actually just started on pantry. Um, Rusty Bucket's pantry area was pretty pretty uh, 
hefty. You worked pizzas, anything cold, salads, desserts, sandwiches sometimes. Um, and I was 16. So I was working full time and going to the career center and competing on a hot foods team actually through the career center. And I just couldn't get enough. So I worked for Rusty Bucket for about a year and uh, I was like, ah, I should try something different and kind of made my way around trying to find something that's was a little bit different. I ended up going to a golf club in Sunbury right near my house where I grew up, Double Eagle. That was a very small staff and, you know, very classical French technique. So kind of learned a little bit about that and made my way into college, actually. So so still in high school, though, you mentioned competing on a team. Was that kind of like, like, what was that like? The Hot Boots team was four individuals. Normally you had to kind of try out to get into it. Um, kind of formatted the same amongst high school and college. You you have a three-course meal that you're supposed to put up in, you know, an allotted time period. Normally that's something to do with super classical French technique. Um, and then uh, you have like a skills phase where uh, each person draws out of a hat. Like you have to break down a chicken, you have to break down a fish. Um, you have to do all these knife cuts, certain amount in a certain amount of time. And then there's a dessert phase. So kind of like just, you know, draw out of a hat what you get. And then it, it, you can practice all you want, but <laughs> it's you know, you compete against other career centers across Ohio. And so it's kind of almost like debate team, almost kind of. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Was it always different with each like competition that you didn't know if it was going to be they want you to break down like a chicken or a cow or like maybe one competition you guys don't even do any of that stuff? Like it was just kind of like. Well, in high school, it's a little bit different. Obviously, they have to kind of format to what they teach you in high school. So, uh, I mean, most high schools, I don't think even teach you how to break down a fish. So um, it was definitely for kids who wanted to stay after school and learn a bit more and, you know, have their teacher invest a little bit more time into them. And, you know, that's kind of what I was after. I was looking for any knowledge I could find and... And once you get to the college level, when you compete, um, it becomes a little bit different, you know, standard wise and what they expect out of you, what techniques they expect. So was it still colleges within Ohio or was it out of state stuff too? Uh, when I was in college, I actually, we ended up moving out of state doing stuff outside of regionals. So I don't know why that's so fuzzy in my mind what we actually got to or how far we got but you know we ended up in in a couple different states nothing national though (laughs) is anybody else from the teams that you were on are they still in the industry cooking too as well or or was that kind of it for them or i'm gonna be honest when i was in school i kind of went into the program in a very weird time in the year uh so most kids were getting out of school and taking their summer break and then going into college. I did not take a summer break from high school. I went straight into college and the program that I was at at Bradford kind of attracted a lot of, you know, middle-aged people. So I was with people who were having kids or getting married and 
I was one of the youngest in my class. So everyone who competed on my team kind of has shifted into the, we're getting married, we're having kids. I'm kind of moving into a different phase of my life. So. So you were like the youngest one on the team then too. Yes. Yeah. Common, common theme here is that like you're like the youngest one at like pretty much every stop, I think. But yep. like you said, you wind up at Cameron Mitchell uh, when you're 16, you're probably there for like a, a year or so. Was that the only Cameron Mitchell? Like you were just at this one rusty bucket or did they have you over the course of training bounce around or anything or? Uh, no, I, I just stuck to the rusty bucket um, in Lewis Center. But, you know, I moved around on the line a little bit. I had, uh, you know, some prior engagements. I, I nannied four boys in the summer. So I had promises to nanny those boys the next summer and kind of split ways with Rusty Bucket when that happened. So was it just a straightforward like application process, like fill it out online and that was it? And they're just like, yeah, cool. Or when can you start? Or did they do any sort of like trail or, or anything like that? Uh, I, oh, man, it's been quite a, a long time since that. Uh, I believe I will. I don't think I had applied to many restaurant jobs. So I think I walked in with my resume and gave it to the hostess. Uh, someone gave me a call and I was like, oh, yeah, absolutely. And they actually, I think, trained me as a hostess first so that I could get some of those competencies and then ended up training back a house. Sometimes I would switch if they needed me in the front, but you know. I was young. A lot of people were working there that were, you know, middle-aged and knew what they were doing. And I was just like very green and probably a little too excited. (laughs) Figuring out as you go. Yeah. Oh yeah. With the golf club, you know, you went over there and you said you wanted to get more experience. What, what kind of, you said it was kind of French, I'm assuming private country club. Yes. Private. Members only. So they had like a full restaurant and everything in there, full setup. Club life is a little interesting. You know, some nights you don't have very many people or you have 300 people for a party or, you know, they did a lot of uh, events for the Blue Jackets and things like that. So we really only had four people who worked in the kitchen and unfortunately always got stuck doing the, okay, you're going to go out there and carve or, okay, you're going to go out there. Oh, for like the banquet stuff. Yes. Yes. Of course. Had to pay my dues. Did they do it? Did you ever have to do any weddings or anything like that? Or was it just kind of their events that they had there for their members? Just events for members. I don't think they were, not when I was there, I don't think they ever had a wedding, but. And then I think after that, you wind up at the Columbus Culinary Institute, right? Bradford? Yep. Which is no longer around. It is no longer around. That is correct. How did you wind up there? Like what made you go there instead of Columbus State or even like an out-of-state culinary school? Uh, Well, I really did not want to go to college. I really did not think that culinary school was necessary for me. Um, But when I competed, I had a mentor who was the director at Bradford, the Culinary Institute. I had, you know, two years of a, you know, outstanding relationship. He saw that I was committed. He saw that I enjoyed competing and he was like, what are your plans for after school? And I said, I don't know, I plan to find a job (laughs) or a better job maybe. And he said, why don't you come look at Bradford? So reluctantly, I 
I, I went and probably to make him feel better than for me. I actually visited Columbus State and a few other schools because my mom was like, you should at least give it a shot. <laughs> at least visit and then make your decision. So, you know, I don't know. I think I got caught up in just like, all right, yeah, I'd love to compete again for another year. Just get the, that last glory shot. So I ended up going for a year. I didn't finish. I will say PSA. I did not finish. <laughs> Based on other, I'm sure you've heard of like other culinary schools and how they're, they're set up. Was it very similar with the Bradford or was it kind of unique in their own way or? Bradford was a little interesting because it was an 18 month program. Um, every eight weeks, you basically shifted your, you know, perspective on what you're, you know, you're, you're looking at soups and sauces for eight weeks and you're looking at knife cuts for eight weeks. You're looking at seafood for eight weeks or meat and poultry. So that was definitely interesting. Um, you went five days a week for six hours a day, um, just like normal school, which was kind of not what I was hoping for out of a college experience, I think, at 18. But, you know, it was probably the best for me to just get it over with or try to get it over with as soon as possible. They, were, they kind of ran a program where you had three hours of lab uh, lab time, which was in the kitchen and hands-on, and then three hours of your your core classes, like anything that they felt that was necessary for you to get your degree. Looking back on it, do you think, even though you didn't finish, do you think the experience was worth it? Would you recommend it to other people going to culinary school? Not necessarily at Bradford, obviously, because it's closed, but... Yes. Um, I would say that culinary school is for certain people, yes. Like if you're trying to learn a new trade, you're, you know, however old, you know, you kind of made your way through one profession and you're like, okay, I'd like to try something out. And your bare bones, you need like from the ground up, I would go to culinary school. But, you know, I had, I had such a good influence with my parents and just kind of a natural sense of what food is about or what I enjoyed as a, a consumer, um, so, you know, I, I, I think I just tried to get thrifty with it and figure it out on my own. And I think if you have the determination or the, you know, just the drive to, to want it enough, you can find it and you can learn it. So why, why do you not want to finish where you just kind of over it and you're like, I don't want to go to school or. Well, that's, <laughs> that's a funny story. Um, I, was done competing and I had still had a little bit left to go when it came to school. And most of the time I had to show up for school so that I could show up for practice so that I could compete. So kind of the, uh, the incentive to be there was lessening. And I unfortunately hadn't worked for like a year because I was going to school for six hours a day. And then my job was training for that competition. So, I mean, all four of us stayed after school every day until the sun went down, you know, just working on our brunoise or just, you know, breaking down chickens or doing this or doing that. And I found a flyer at school because I was like, I need to find a job. And it was for 1808. And I just randomly called or emailed the sous chef at the time thinking that it was the executive chef. Um, my resume. So I got a call shortly after that. 
definitely didn't know what I was getting myself into. Um, <laughs> definitely, I think, faked it a little to make that job, but, you know, ended up on my feet. <laughs> so you go there, you you wind up at 1808, and, it, and you're 18 at this point, right? You're still... Yeah, I'm maybe turning 19 at this point. And so... Were you just, did you just start on the line or what did they, what did they have you starting? Yeah. Um, they were hurting pretty bad for people, uh, and they needed someone on saute. So that was, that was my first introduction to the, to saute, I guess not the hotline, but just saute. So the chef at the time, Austin, you know, kind of sat me down and was like, what are your favorite books? what do you like about food? Can you learn? (laughs) And I was like, yeah, I can try. (laughs) So he brought me in and I think maybe trained me two days and let me loose. And I just kind of had to pick it up where I could and figure it out how I, how I best could, I guess. Yeah. For those that haven't been there, 1808, it's a pretty popular restaurant, downtown Delaware, pretty busy. Is it a, a large kitchen, medium kitchen, small kitchen? It's a medium kitchen. Okay, it's a large kitchen if you combine all the areas. <laughs> um, compared to spec, absolutely a large kitchen. <laughs> so how long were you at 1808? Were you there for like a year or two or and just kind of worked your way up? Or I was there for two years. I actually only worked saute the entire time I was there. So I was kind of looking for something with more responsibility, a little more creativity. Kind of made my way into Powell. So at Craft House. <laughs> Okay. Uh, what craft house number five, is that what it is? Yes. Yep. Did you join them as just like still on the line or were, um, no, I actually made it to sous chef there. Um, that was my first like real salary job. Definitely a learning curve there. Um, but it was, it was a small enough restaurant to be a good transition from hourly into salary and kind of, just the workload in general wasn't, you know, too strenuous that I couldn't kind of hone in. Was that the biggest challenge going from basically like you're on just the line, just focus on your station to now I'm also have to like kind of managing people. Absolutely. Um, I definitely built a very hard shell growing in this industry. You know, I think I only worked with one other female the first five years I was here in this industry. Um, I think I had just built up such a hard shell that it was hard for me to kind of talk to people and, you know, connect with people as a manager. Uh, I was very hard headed, I think for a while. Um, but you know, we had a very small staff and kind of how my chef and I went into that concept. It was, you know, re not rebranded, but under new ownership and people were kind of expecting the same menu and same quality. So that was, you know, also one of the biggest struggles was just kind of trying to please the people who were there for the old and excite the people who were there for the new. And that was something I had never been a part of or opened a restaurant before or reopened something. So getting all that experience was super crucial, I think. Yeah, that's a weird thing to like think back on. For a very long period of time, there were most restaurants just never changed their menu. Like it's kind of wild to think about that. Like 
early 2000s, it was like, no, this is the menu. It's what's here all year round. Wait, what? Wait, those same vegetables are here all year. (laughs) So then, you know, you're at what happens after Craft House? How long were you there? Craft House, I was there for about a year. Um, Kind of was looking for something new, something exciting again. Um, Ended up taking a a trip to Italy with my family, just on a whim, kind of leaving Craft House behind me. Um, And I think not, not long after that, I got a call from Jonathan Sawyer about a an upcoming restaurant in the short North area. <laughs> so yeah, I, t- I took a little bit of a break from craft house in between seesaw and craft house. Um, once Sawyer kind of reached out to me, I was like, Oh man, this is going to be insane. This is going to be crazy. Like, you know, James Beard award winning chefs coming to Columbus. This is amazing. A lot of people thought that. <laughs> yes. Yes. Unfortunately, uh, you know, we can get into that. You know, you can ask the questions you want to ask about that. I don't know. I, I've talked to other people that have worked with them. You know, Matt Spinner uh, up in Cleveland. Um, I mean, it's all you can do the research. It, it, it's all financial related stuff. It's nothing. It's nothing. You know, for those that are listening to this and are like, what are they talking about? You could do the Google search. It's all just financial related mismanagement of funds and, and stuff and, and all that stuff. It's nothing. There's no like misconduct allegations or anything like that. And he's out in Chicago now. He's working at like the Four Seasons restaurant. So he's he's landed on his feet and is, I think, repaying the IRS whatever he owes. Yeah, I definitely. That's one of like the first questions I get every time someone new meets me. And they're like, ah, I was Sawyer. And I'm like, he's. A great dude. <laughs> I don't think, well, you're not going to get anything new out of me, you know? Just, he's just bad with money. That's, you know. Yeah. Super smart. Yeah. But just maybe a little bit bad with money. So when you wind up at Seesaw, you know, because he's not there, you know, when his name was, was involved and everything before everybody went their separate ways. But he came in and you trained some of the staff, I believe, if I remember from like the Instagram and stuff like that. Did you get to actually work with him before, you know, he kind of was like, went back up to, to Cleveland? Yeah, we, I actually got to go down or out to Greenhouse Tavern and train with um, some of the opening staff for Sawyers and Seesaw and kind of meet some of the partners, kind of feel out who was there, who was involved. I met all the Greenhouse staff. You know, spent about two weeks conceptualizing the menu with Sawyer um, and then kind of moved back here and did all the uh, cleaning and scrubbing and shining for open. So what I mean, Seesaw, you know, it was supposed to be this restaurant during the day and then kind of like an after hours place at, at night. But it seemed to be more focused on the after hours stuff, the I don't know, club vibe or whatever, like never really seemed to be focused on the food. And there's a few other restaurants that have opened and recently opened in Columbus that are like that, especially in the short North too, where it's, we're this restaurant and we're this bar too, but all you see is the drinks and the bar atmosphere. You don't see anything about the food. So, so it doesn't really, you know, and I get that you make way more money off liquor and alcohol sales and all that stuff. But with, when did it kind of fall apart there? Was it after all the stuff with 
Sawyer separated partnership where everybody was kind of like, well, this is, wasn't really what I wanted to be involved in. Cause the, was it, was it Jonathan Nolan was the CDC there? And he, I think he left after like a year. I don't remember if that was his name or not. Uh, he's not. Yeah. Uh, no, that was Nate Hall actually. That's it. Yeah. I'm getting my people mixed up, but he was there for like a year, I think. And then, then, cause he's up at a country club now, I think. Yeah. We, uh, we made our way from 1808 actually together through craft house, um, onto seesaw and, you know, right around the same time, we kind of parted ways from seesaw and went separate ways. Um, but you know, right when we opened and, you know, we actually started feeding people really. Um, and people were paying for food. It was like, a completely different sell than what we were sold. Um, so, you know, Sawyer was definitely one of the catalysts for trying to get this place to be very chef driven and very food really, you know, just on the map for food in Columbus. Um, and unfortunately I think, like you said, obviously alcohol makes more money. You know, it's hard to, to get into that situation and try so hard for the food. And then, you know, you end up heavier on the drink side and how can you say no to that money, I guess. And yeah, I think when we started, you know, not really having control of the menu and Sawyer stopped coming around so often we were like, okay, uh, this is probably not a good idea to be here anymore, but you know, it was something that, you know, I didn't feel like I was finished with. I wanted it to be better. I wanted it to be something that Columbus was excited about. And I did not want it to be, you know, for 21 year olds who just want to get wasted. (laughs) Sorry guys. (laughs) No, I mean, there's plenty of those spots and it's weird because that's kind of, it seems like what the short North is starting, starting to kind of turn into in a way. I mean, there's definitely, you have, you know, Seesaw and Town Hall, Gallup Park, which are all kind of in the same vein of more focused on atmosphere and, and alcohol and everything like that. So, and then with Short North being kind of linked to campus area, it's almost kind of starting to become like an extension and everything. So, so, so when you decide to leave Seesaw, where, where do you go next? Did you have a plan or were you just kind of like, well, I didn't have a plan in mind, I just knew that I wanted something that kind of, I wanted to be working for a place and for people who you know, wanted to give back to their employees and, you know, just understood good work and wanted to provide good work as well. So I kind of took some time I, I, away from Seesaw and uh, ended up going back right before the pandemic hit um, for a few weeks, just like in the nick of time. Um, and that's when everybody kind of went down into lockdown. So that was, that was that for a few months, um, for about three months. I didn't intend to go back to seesaw. Um, but it was definitely a crazy time of, you know, what's, what's the industry going to look like? Should I, you know, keep this job? What's. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you more than likely they, I don't know if they, I'm assuming they, they laid off most everybody, I would imagine. Yep. They ended up laying everybody off. But in those few weeks of, you know, everybody, you know, business owners themselves not knowing 
the uh, the protocol, if you will, for something like this, you know, everybody's trying to figure out how to keep themselves and their families afloat or safe or, you know. So how'd you wind up at uh, SPEC after that? Um, I've always kept a good relationship with Josh. You know, I think when I was at 1808, I really wanted a, a salary position. I really wanted to make some change and didn't end up happening. I think I was just a little too before my time. I was a little too young, uh, needed to, to spread my wings a little bit, kind of be away from the family for a little while. And, you know, Josh kind of kept up with me throughout the pandemic, kind of what was going on with Seesaw. That was such a big topic. So, you know, I told him I didn't have a job and I was looking, um, and he said, oh, you know, B.J. Lieberman is coming to Columbus soon. And I said, oh, yeah. You know, I ended up, because my sister lives in D.C. one day, ended up eating at Little Pearl and met him because I'm from Columbus and kind of made a relationship there. And he put me up for a recommendation for B.J. and had a couple interviews with him. And he's like, oh, OK, I'm going to take this job in a month when they open. And, you know. Josh kind of kept up with me in that time. And all of a sudden I get a text from Josh saying, Hey, do you know anybody who needs a, or needs a job? And I was like, what do you mean? He said, I, you know, I, my chef at spec had to quit, unfortunately, you know, suddenly. And, uh, I need somebody and just couldn't resist the urge to go back, you know? And I, I said, all right, I'm in and kind of paved, you know, had to talk with BJ a little bit about going back to Josh after he recommended me, but, uh, well, they got delayed with their opening a bit too, as well. So I'm sure that probably factored in a little bit. Cause I think they started doing, if I remember, they started doing the, just like to go and take out, I don't know. I mean, I could get my timeline wrong, but I think it was like August they started like actual dine in, but they opened like, I think in June for takeout, I think which was still three months, like three or four months later than they anticipated anyway. So, yeah, which I, you know, I definitely was super intrigued in the thought of doing that. You're, you know, working under BJ and learning from him and the team that he has collected at Chapman's, I mean, is quite the force from what I hear and what I've seen eaten really. Um, but, you know, I just, I had never, you know, done the whole the whole deal and really wanted to push myself. And Josh is definitely someone who demands um, quality and demands your time and demands that you, you know, put something towards this if you care about it. And I wanted to be under that again. And I wanted to kind of rehone, if you will. <laughs> so even though like spec is a small restaurant, I mean, it seats uh, 18, 20 people, something like that. What was what was it like, you know, running, like being the chef in charge? Even though it's on the smaller side, it's still, it's all you. Chef in charge at spec is definitely a different job than, you know, uh, the executive watershed or whatever, you know, anywhere, really. Um, because it's so small, you know, the kitchen can only really fit three, maybe four people at a time, um, including your dishwasher. So a lot of prep and conceptualizing is on you 
I spent a lot of time alone there just kind of <laughs> figuring it out. And, you know, I obviously had never specialized in artisanal pasta before. So just kind of trying to figure it out on my own was a challenge. Um, but it's, it's a lot of work for, uh, you know, a few people, I think all scratch made, you know, pasta can take quite a bit of time if it's, you know, one of the more detailed or fine designs or shapes or, you know, whatever it is. Plus space. Yeah. Cause you got to roll it out and you need, yeah. Even having someone come in during the day, you're like, oh, I needed that table anyway. So I don't even know how you're here. I'm just kidding. But <laughs> yeah, it, it's quite the shoebox, but it's cozy. And, you know, I worked with a great staff um, and they kind of showed me the ropes of where things are, you know, and kind of showed me what others had done before and what I, you know, could pick and choose what I enjoyed of those things or, you know, just what, where I wanted to take spec, you know, Josh kind of let me kind of have the, the whole kit and caboodle, honestly, he never sat over me with a microscope. He just kind of let me have it. Did you think you were ready? No. Um, imposter syndrome, I think, but (laughs) I, I just, you know, I, I had spent a few years being a sous chef, um, to someone that I thought I was going to, you know, continue my professional career with for a while in Columbus or maybe open a spot. Um, and when that didn't kind of happen, I was like, man, all right. I had never really thought about myself as an executive chef, which was insane, you know, because I would always need to be, a, I would always be the lesser experienced one or the, the younger person and always kind of just, you know, counted myself out in that regard. And when Josh was, you know, not immediately like, absolutely not. I'm not going to have you as the executive chef here. I was like, okay, I need to have a little bit more faith in myself. And, you know, like I said, if you want to learn something, you can. And if you have enough drive to do it, you just have to spend the time and have the discipline to do it. And decided that I was going to have that (laughs) and there wasn't going to be an option to fail. So however much time or effort it took, it was going to happen. With never having cooked Italian cuisine before really up to that point, how did, were you excited about that? Was it something that kind of, you look back on like the trip to Italy that you mentioned where it was kind of like, Oh yeah, I would like to do that at least at some point or. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, everyone always asks you, you know, do you want to own a restaurant or do you want to open a restaurant or what do you want to do? And I've never really had an answer for that. I don't know if I want to open a restaurant or I don't know if I want to, you know, do this or that. But I, uh, it's funny kind of working for American bistros, you kind of get a little bit of everybody, every chef's personality or what they enjoy eating. So, you know, some of them, you know, were more Vietnamese influenced or they liked this or that. And uh, so you kind of see like a little taste of everything. And I felt, you know, okay across most boards, but I felt, you know, if I'm going to take myself to the next level, I need to kind of specialize in something or I need to 
find something that I'm really enjoying in this field that I want to try to focus on or focus more time on. Um, And I never really anticipated it being pasta, but it kind of makes sense. I mean, I love, who doesn't love pasta? Who doesn't love Italian food? I I mean, I, I guess I would have just shot myself in the foot to just not have the opportunity to to have all the good pasta tricks in my back pocket and learning them as a, a job, you know, and being paid to learn how to do it is an opportunity that most people don't get, I guess. So you're no longer at Spec. You were the executive chef there for almost a year, right? Yeah. Yep. Was it just you felt time to try something different, like try something new or? Uh, yeah. Um, you know, there are. Obviously, whenever you leave a job, there are so many things or not so many things that you would change or not change. But, you know, there were some differences in managerial thoughts, I guess, or wants or needs in the restaurant. And, you know, I was just kind of ready to be working alongside some people who could teach me. Um, And I guess, you know, that that kind of being an executive chef, obviously you expect to be the person always teaching, but it's nice to work with people who have had some experience under their belt and can kind of show you their personality in food. And they've kind of found their, their voice in that, in, in this industry. So. So you're, you're looking to learn more. It sounds like. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Always looking to learn more. Not that, yeah, not that like any chef is done learning or anything like that, but it seems like you're still trying to find, I guess, maybe your culinary voice, so to speak. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I definitely have, you know, cuisine that I enjoy eating. and But, you know, I, I guess I'm not quite sure where where that next place is or, you know, what I would like to be doing currently I'm kind of just working off of private events for people that I've met since I've started my culinary journey and giving them cooking classes or you know what have you whatever they need or family you know this time is interesting because I haven't really had much time off for a while so most of my family's like hey can you make this hey can you do this event or hey this birthday's coming up you mind making some of this So it's been, you know, nice taking some time to just kind of sit, you know, figure it out and figure out what I would like out of this industry or what I, where I feel like I can help in this industry, make substantial positive change. All the restaurants, I mean, are, everybody's looking for help, right? Everybody's looking to hire as many people as they can. So even within Columbus, if you decide to stay in Columbus and not go to a different city or, or whatever, Right now, you have probably almost any opportunity that you can. Th- Is there something that you're specifically looking for? You're like, you know, because I'm sure you're feel like I'm sure once word got out that you're no longer the executive chef at Spec, like that you there are people trying to track down your email and like hitting you up on Instagram and are like, hey, you know, what are you doing? What are you thinking? So do you know? Do you have an idea of what you're looking for, or are you just kind of like, yeah, as offers come in, I'm reviewing and deciding on yes or no. You know, I think as years have gone on, obviously there are some heavy hitters in Columbus that are, you know, chefs that I really admire and I love, you know, eating at their restaurants and 
you know, unfortunately some of those aren't open right now. Uh, <laughs> but I have had quite a few people, Hey, why are you on the market? What's going on? What are you doing? Why are you, why are you not working? I, I mean, pretty much every job I've had, I've had something to go right into. Um, because I thought it was, you know, better fit or I'd learn more. So I don't know. This is, but this is, yeah, this is like the first time you're like, yeah, not, not just on a break, but you're also kind of like a free agent, like this, this highly prized, like free agent that's floating out there. Like, yeah. You know, and my, my family's pretty funny. They're always like, yeah, they're very, very close. I mean, my siblings and I, and my parents and I are incredibly close and I wish they all lived closer, but you know, they're always like, why don't you just take the time? No, 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 no. You don't need to need to think about this. Just take the time, take the breather. <laughs> They'd like to spend a little more time with me. I'm sure. With, um, you know, we kind of talked about it a little bit before Columbus, at least to me, doesn't feel like a town that has a lot of female chefs. I, I don't know exactly. I mean, I guess maybe kind of on the coast is probably where you'd find more female chefs and female executive chefs, you know, even less probably that own their own restaurant, you know, run a kitchen, even if they don't own it. Do you, based on your experience so far, do you think that's starting to change with maybe in Columbus or do you think it's still like a slow go and it's still, there's not as many women in the industry as you would expect or would like to see or. Uh, based off of personal experience, I mean, there are, aren't enough females in the industry in Columbus for sure that I've personally worked with. Um, I, I, I know that it is trending towards, you know, the incline, but it's, it's sometimes it's rough out here. <laughs> Where are all of you at? <laughs> yeah, I, I I can't figure it out really myself. I mean, I know it's just, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, I don't know why. It, it feels like it's a very heavy, like nurse, nursing town. So I don't know if just people wind up going, you know, that direction and don't start out. I think a lot of people in the culinary industry too, like their first or second job was in some sort of restaurant food capacity. And that's kind of like comfort zone and they wind up staying there. And maybe just, I don't know, I don't know where people's like first or second jobs are starting out now, but it doesn't, doesn't seem to be in the restaurant industry. Yeah, I don't know. And that was like before the pandemic too. Yeah, no, right now it feels like everybody, you know, doesn't want to be working. And unfortunately, I think for the, the field, a lot of people are kind of gaining independence and learning like, oh, wow, we're living in this era of just, I can, you know, market myself however I want and I can make money however I want. Or, you know, it's so easy to just try something else and make money off of it now. And, you know, that's a little bit of a dangerous thought, I think, to some people and some business owners. So with the the scene in Columbus, the, you know, restaurant scene and everything, has it changed since you first got into it? Have you seen any changes? Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. What's the most notable thing? Just trend in food. I think, uh, really focusing on seasonality and the importance of an ever changing menu and how, you know, what grows in our region or, you know, where are we sourcing from? How are we sourcing? What's, what's happening in that area? Um, I think we've 
kind of moved towards and it, you know, just more, higher quality food, I would say in general, um, and more creative food in general, you know, as time goes on, obviously things progress, people find different technique or different food or whatever, but. Do you think it's changed enough? Um, that's, a, that's a tough question. Um, I guess, you know, personally, I don't think that it's changed enough. It, I guess it depends on, you know, what, what you want to see out of this industry and what, what is important, what problems are important for you to fix first, you know? And I mean, I think a huge issue for restaurants everywhere is waste and, or being underpaid. People who are there are underpaid and there are a lot of improvements I think that could be made to the industry. And I think uh, the pandemic has definitely at least, you know, put a light on a little bit of it, which is good. It's hard, but it's good. Where do you think the, over the, like the next, the rest, rest of the decade, where do you think the Columbus kind of restaurant scene is headed? Do you think it's just going to kind of follow like New York and San Francisco, or do you think it'll do kind of its own thing and branch off to its own? Cause right now it's, it's some seasonal restaurants, but a lot of chains, we still have a lot of chains because we, we're still a test market because we're so close to the epicenter of the population. Something like a thousand miles is like 70 to 80% of the population in the U S. So do you think that it's, going to continue that way or do you think we'll get more kind of chef driven restaurants and it'll change that way or i think um especially right now i think there are a lot of people who are coming into the city you know like bj and coming from a different city and you know putting a different splash of something that's not columbus born and bred or cameron mitchell or you know influenced heavily by something that someone's already done here and I don't know how far we'll be in 10 years. I think that Columbus is definitely on a slow build. Um, but I, you know, the hope is that you know, there aren't any chain restaurants in Columbus eventually, right? I don't know. I'd rather eat somewhere local and independent always. So what do you, what do you use for inspiration, I guess? Cause, cause you're, you know, running an Italian restaurant, no real Italian background for a while. So was it different stuff you'd see on Instagram? Was it different cookbooks, just knowledge from other people that you'd be like, pull in or? Um, you know, being so young and <laughs> working for so many years without being kind of a salaried position, you, like I said, you learn people's personalities and food, you kind of learn their tricks Every chef is definitely, you know, excited to share their best tricks. So, you know, you get the taste of all their best tricks and kind of collect them as time goes on, like stamps, if you will. <laughs> but, yeah, um, you know, I think I've spent, you know, a long time learning what people like to read. A lot of people, what their favorite chefs are, who their favorite chefs are, what their favorite places are. And taken my favorites from their favorites, if you will. So, you know, I've got tons of books that I'm always reading. Um, I can't seem to stop buying them. Um, and yeah, I mean, Instagram is a, a crazy place. I, you know, I'm not big on social media. I'm not super reliant on like, oh, I need to post this next photo. But it is a amazing tool for inspiration and connecting with other chefs or people in the industry. 
um, I mean, that's how we, you know, you reached out to me on Instagram and it's, it's crazy how quick of a connection you can find on Instagram or, you know, anything that you pick up, just recipes people drop that are their favorites or whatever, you know, it's, it's an incredible tool. Is there anyone, is there like a chef that's actually cooking right now? And I, I use that because there's a lot of big name chefs who people know, but they don't actually cook. They've moved on. They've phased out into either rusty running a bunch of different restaurants or, you know, more of media stuff, whether it's your David Chang's your Thomas Keller, stuff like that. Is there anybody who's actually like cooking right now that, that you kind of gravitate towards for like inspiration or, or you're like, Oh man, I, I'm really impressed by this person. Like that's somebody that I would want to like, if the opportunity ever came up to work for or with. Uh, I mean, being involved so heavily with Italian food recently, Alex Funky would be the person that I'd be just smitten to be standing next to watching him roll a pasta. I mean, he's incredible. So I, I would definitely be intrigued and just watching or staging, <laughs> you know, just, you know, every, every chef takes a different stake in how far they'll go down the rabbit hole and how far they'll let themselves kind of marry the, the profession. And you can tell those people. And I think he's just one of those people who's married pasta, which, you know, I'd love to see. Last kind of tough question. Um, do you think, you know, your story's a little unique as, as you're so young and, you know, became an executive chef and a sous chef at a young age. And even with Columbus not having so many women chefs, do you, do you feel that there was a different set of challenges for you in such a male dominated industry, even though it's kind of coming more inclusive as kind of the years go by? Or do you think like it was more equal than like the media kind of portrays it to be like, it's like, no, like everybody was cool to me in the kitchen. Like it's a kitchen. Um, kind of have to have thick skin, but yeah, I think to an extent, like, you know, whatever role you play in a kitchen kind of, I guess when I was a, a sous chef or when I was a line cook, obviously I was treated a little bit differently. Um, I mean, yes, yes. And no, I would say that there were quite a few jobs that I entered into that, I'm sure what I said was not heard or I'm sure, you know, whoever was in charge of me was not worried about me or was not worried about me as an employee or my opinion, um, unfortunately. But with that, I've, you know, I've found that, you know, you just have to find the fire inside of you to, to decide when enough is enough, um, and, you know, how you demand to be respected or treated as an individual. Um, and, you know, I, I don't like to be the, the quitter. I don't like to quit on things very often. Um, but I would say that um, a few, uh, multiple jobs, I definitely left because of an, an unfair opportunity that I wasn't allowed or just, you know, not just being the young, dumb girl, just, you know, it it sucks, but you know, I I built such thick skin because of it. And 
every line cook I think I've ever worked with has definitely enjoyed, you know, the banter that I can provide, I guess. But um, once you start managing people who are older than you with more experience than you, that's when things get tricky and shitty and that rule applies to every industry, whether it's an office job or whatever. Yeah. And no stubborn cook wants some 18, 19 year old telling them who's a foot shorter than them. Hey, those cuts are not correct. Or, Hey, I need you to redo that. Hey, throw that out because you completely ruined it. Or, you know, you know, it's definitely a learning process. I have not learned all of the process yet. That is for sure. So a few more questions for you. We ask these to everybody, all the chefs that uh, come on the podcast. So first one, who would you say is the biggest influence on your culinary career thus far? I would say Josh Dalton. I would say that he was the first person that kind of made it apparent to me that I had a quality about me that could, could work in this industry if I worked for it. And you know, I have the most respect for that man. And he's took a shot on me when he probably shouldn't have. And he's definitely done quite a bit for me in this, in this whole grand scheme of my culinary career. And I'm definitely excited for what he has brewing. What's the one kitchen item that's not a knife that you can't live without? I would say it's a, <laughs> it's a mini spatula. It's a Dexter mini spat about, five inches long, but it's, it's just a very, very small metal spatula that can get under any crispy fish skin. Uh, what's the restaurant that you'd recommend that, you know, isn't your own? So I guess, you know, we'll apply the last restaurant that you're at spec. So usually uh, I kind of frame this as friend was kind of connecting through Columbus, flight got delayed or whatever. They're going to be stuck here overnight. They reach out to you. Hey, where should I go eat? Place that you're working at is closed. You give them a recommendation to go um, if you're looking for somewhere nice, I would definitely, my first beat would be Chapman's. Um, if service bar were open, I would say service bar or watershed as well. I give those, give those guys a shout out for sure. What's the bucket list travel destination, bucket list restaurant that you want to go to? Haven't been to yet though. That's so hard. Oh God. Um, I don't have a particular restaurant right now that I'm like, I have to eat here. I think I've kind of just put traveling in the back of my mind for a while, but I'd love to go to Spain. Um, what part of Spain? Barcelona or Madrid or San Sebastian or where? I don't know. I think I would try to hit as many as I could. Um, I haven't been able to travel very much just with working. You know, I haven't taken much time away. So when I do, I, try to go out 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 <laughs> you know craziest thing you've seen happen in a restaurant while you're working i mean so many fights <laughs> so many fights so many fans so many fans thrown um you know i used to be i used to have a <laughs> i think it was my fault on a regular basis that this happened at 1808 i had a a drop pan underneath my stove like that would, you know, I would line with aluminum foil to catch, you know, debris that would come off of pans or I would, you know, miss a noodle and it would fall down there. And uh, I definitely forgot to clean that thing so many times and it caught so on fire during service. 
Oh God. And that was just always a hassle. You know, I've got my entire line full of food. It's Saturday and I'm like, I can't turn any of these stuff, you know, burners off, but I need you to put this fire out really quick, but do it around me. <laughs> so, you know, uh, so many things, so many explosions, I mean, explosions, just five gallons of soup on the ground everywhere. So much stuff. <laughs> what's your food or drink guilty pleasure? So what's like the one thing that you know this is terrible for me, but whether it's you're going down the grocery store aisle and you're like, you know, you know, that's down there or if it's uh, you know, fast food or, or whatever. Um, anything salt and vinegar, anything like super sour or acidic. I cannot get enough of it. I think, I mean, I could sit and eat sour candy until my mouth bleeding. So <laughs> anything, you know, like, Salt and vinegar almonds or salt and vinegar chips, just any of that. What's the favorite dish, favorite thing that you've cooked or created so far, like that you look back on and you're like, that's kind of the moment that I put it all together for the first time. I don't, I don't know if it would be my favorite dish to eat now. Um, but I think the first dish that I ever conceptualized at 1808, it was a pasta, like a beet filled pasta with, uh, buttermilk poppy seed crema or something or other probably not the best thing but I was proud to you know put it together or piece it together and actually follow through and have it work out and you know had the opportunity to actually run it on the menu you know pivotal points in the career was that the first dish that you had from like start to finish get on a menu yep yeah and then last question, um, I'm an Anthony Bourdain fan. Not everybody is. Um, but is there, if you are, is there a favorite kind of moment, scene, episode um, that you kind of always stands out in your mind? Or if you're not an Anthony Bourdain fan, is there another culinary personality, travel host, whatever have you, that uh, that is somebody that you kind of always kind of gravitate towards? That is a tough question because I did watch quite a bit of Food Network growing up. Um, and my dad wasn't a big Bourdain fan I, or just never really had it on. Um, yeah, either you were or you weren't. It kind of It's very few that weren't and then eventually became. It was kind of like either you're in or you're out kind of thing, it seems like. Yeah, yeah. Um, I definitely have all of the respect and all the, you know, just, you know, just awe for Anthony, but I would say Alton Brown was, was our like, oh man, this, you know, most food network personalities weren't, you know, a, a name or whatever, you know, they're, they're not really there for the, the substance. They're there for the, the TV part. Yeah. The entertainment part. And I think, he was just one of the people who actually focused on why things happen and how things happen. And that was someone that I was like, Oh, he's really smart. <laughs> he's doing something. I think for, he has another show again. I don't know if it's on PBS or something. I can't remember, but I know it's out there somewhere. He did a quarantine show on YouTube. So maybe that's what I was thinking of, but yeah, I know he's, I know he's still doing stuff. Uh, where can people find you? Social media? I mean, website, all that stuff. Plug. 
plug away. I know you don't have a restaurant to plug right now, but. I don't have a restaurant to plug right now. Um, I do have an Instagram. It's just Olivia Heyman, my name, O-L-I-V-I-A-H-A-M-A-N-N on Instagram. I, like I said, I'm not super into social media, but you can find me there for sure if you need. I'll be back around the Columbus scene soon. Yeah, when you, are you going to, are you going to post, make a post when you announce whatever kitchen that you're going to? Uh, I don't know. Um Maybe we'll see. Uh, if it's if it's the one I'm hoping for, sure. Yes. Uh, okay. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, you ever want to come back on just to talk food? I mean, pretty much first episode, first time somebody comes on is we just kind of go through you know their background and everything, and then then as people start coming back on in the future and stuff, we'll we'll do some other stuff. But you know, when you wind up at a restaurant, you know, if you're running it and you guys got a new menu to put out or whatever, you want to pop on for. 10, 15 minutes, give the backstory or whatever, all that stuff. Um, just kind of a standing invite for anybody who's come on and, and everything like that, but excited for whatever opportunity that you wind up uh, taking here in the near future. And I appreciate it. And we'll be, uh, we'll be one of the first ones in line wherever you wind up. I'm sure. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I mean, I'm flattered. <laughs> No, no. Thanks for doing it. And uh, we'll stay in touch and, and we'll talk soon. Yeah. All right. Have a good one. That's it. That's my interview with Chef Olivia Hammond. Thanks again uh, to Olivia for coming on the podcast, taking some time out of her schedule. Chat just kind of about her career and everything. It was really cool, really insightful. Like I said, you can follow her on Instagram. She doesn't post too much, but you can definitely follow her on Instagram. And she she did promise to make a post for uh, when whenever she announces kind of whatever her next adventure is in the culinary world, whether it's a restaurant or doing something, you know, kind of private catering style or, or whatever she decides to do. So definitely on the lookout for that. Uh, make sure to check out the other Chefs and Guests episodes if you haven't um, checked those out. So last week we had uh, Advanced Sommelier Greg Stokes from Veritas on. Kind of went a little bit into the wine world. We got some other Psalms coming up as well as a restaurant owner. So we're kind of able to finally start incorporating some other people um, within the restaurant industry, some different avenues. So it's not just, you know, executive chefs all the time and, and everything like that. So it's been, it's been fun to kind of get different perspectives and hear kind of the different stories of people coming up in their industries. So there's definitely some cool episodes to come. So make sure uh, if you're not already following the podcast or anything like that, make sure you subscribe following, you know, we're on Apple, Spotify, Amazon music. Uh, you can find us in there, Stitcher, Google podcasts, Pretty much wherever you get your podcast from, we're on there. Uh, Chefs and Guests episodes come out every Thursday. We're on a run here. I think we'll have at least uh, six in a row coming out. So every Thursday for like six weeks, uh, we'll have a new episode for you guys. Uh, Andrew Herman is our editor. So he's doing all the editing of the audio. So shout out to him. You can find him at, at uh, Track Edit Print. Um, shout out to Cabalistic Village, who did the intro music, you know, released that for free out of kind of his catalog. So shout out to him. Want to make sure we give him credit, too, as well. Kind of the intro music and everything will be incorporated in past episodes, too, as well, as uh, Andrew goes back through them and kind of masters them and, and balances out all the levels of my poor editing and uh, mixing uh, job that I did for like the first, you know, 12, 13 episodes there. So uh, really, really happy, really cool to have him on board, um, you know, kind of participating and, and doing some of this stuff, too, as well. It's um, definitely a relief for me to not have to spend so much time doing it myself and then also have like a professional who can actually kind of tinker with it and make it sound uh, high quality, too, as well is is definitely something that uh, is awesome to have. 
Parts Not Known comes out on Wednesdays. We're in the middle of season five, so check those out. Me and Ben, we usually wind up half the episodes, kind of like a recap of uh, whatever the episode is that we just watched. And then the other half of the episode is usually us on whatever kind of topical tangents are kind of out there in the world. Um, We usually get sidetracked a little bit, but those are kind of fun. So check those out if you haven't or if you have. Appreciate it. And then Restaurant Reviews on Mondays. That's just me solo, just kind of running through different notes and stuff I have from different restaurants and the research I've done on chefs and stuff like that. And if it's a place that we've already kind of done one before, um, usually it'll be like a new menu that comes out. So um, I think the two biggest ones that we kind of normally do are Veritas and Chapman's just because they're local here in Columbus. So we eat there pretty frequently whenever they kind of change over the menu, different concepts and themes and stuff like that. So we're big, big fans of those two restaurants. So make sure you check those two out. If you haven't already, if you've never eaten at either one, highly recommend it too as well, as well as Cleaver. Jay Clevin is also another favorite of ours too as well. So at some point we're going to do another restaurant week where we just kind of release uh, restaurant reviews kind of all in a row. Probably do one for Columbus, plan on maybe doing one for Cincinnati, um, and then also plan on doing one for like uh, just a bunch of different Michelin-starred restaurants that we've been to. Um, so all those are you know on the way at some point here. Uh, I'll announce kind of once I figure out what dates want to release those in it'll probably be a week where we don't have like a chefs and guests episode scheduled so i'm probably thinking like july i don't want to just flood everybody with like oh well here's seven podcasts in seven days and also like another chefs and guests and then like a parts now known that's a that's a lot to listen to so uh definitely space was out for you uh everybody listening but appreciate it make sure you check out the website spoonmob.com new stuff always kind of going up Currently uh, doing a little bit of a revamp. So anybody who's been on the podcast or anybody we've done a restaurant review podcast for, just kind of cleaning up the the webpage there for them, putting all the photos into kind of a grid format so you can click on them, expand them. Um, but the descriptions will go away if, if we've already recorded a podcast because we've already kind of spoken to those. So if you want to know more about those course pictures that you're looking at, just click on the little button and that'll take you right to the podcast episode. It's all, you know, numbered and everything so you can go through the feed if you're subscribed to on your phone if you want to listen to it while you're on the go figure out the corresponding episode and listen to it right there uh if it's something that you missed if you know you haven't had a chance to go back into the feed so uh we'll release restaurant reviews too as well on thursdays that we don't have a chefs and guest episode um scheduled to as well so whenever we get to that point um we'll put those out so that way they'll be just kind of three podcasts a week pretty consistently um going forward unless you know there's a vacation or something for some reason but not anticipated uh, at the moment. Uh, I think that's it for kind of updates to kind of everything we got going on. A couple more things will be coming uh, that are in the works. So we'll be coming out uh, with a few announcements um, probably here in a couple weeks. Uh, one big one, once it uh, debuts, it's not on us. So we're just waiting for it to come out. But uh, really excited to see what kind of the, the reception is and the feedback and everything. So if you're a new listener, welcome. If you're a longtime listener and subscriber, we really appreciate having you guys here and still listening. Continue to help spread the word. Uh, really appreciate everybody so far. I think we're maybe at 300 or maybe a little bit more or close to it, um, you know, followers on Instagram. So um, that's slowly growing. You know, we got uh, podcast listenership, you know, subscribers and everything. That's that's growing too as well. The amount of listens, you know, per month, per episode, web page visits, all that stuff is trending in the right direction. So we're super happy with with everything thus far after, you know, about a year of doing it and just kind of where we can, you know, take it and see it going too as well. So super excited. We'll keep doing what we're doing and you guys just keep listening and 
feel free to send in question, comments, feedback through the website at the contact portal there. Uh, if you go to the main page, just click on contact. It's the picture of that uh, phone that I took in Denver uh, that was in the hotel. And um, I just thought it was kind of a cool picture. Yeah, just fill out the little portal thing there. Or you can send an email directly to spoonmob at yahoo.com. Um, there are a couple other emails we have, but that's the best one just because one might go away. So you can send directly or, you know, submit through the contact portal, uh, either one. But like I said, appreciate everybody thus far. Looking forward to what we got coming out. You know, next week will be another episode with a sommelier, but it's a, still a little different. Uh, he's a sommelier, but he's also a journalist and a podcast host and um, bartender and just a jack of all trades, really. And it's somebody who I, I've been a fan of his podcast um, when I was doing some research on a chef. It's kind of how I discovered it and been kind of a loyal listener ever since. So it was really cool to just kind of sit down with somebody who knows the medium and, you know, kind of gets what we're doing and is something that's local, um, you know, where he's at and everything too. So it was, it was a really fun episode to be able to kind of, kind of talk about one of my favorite food cities too, as well. So uh, that'll be coming out next week, but uh, that's it for now. And we will talk to you guys later.